welcome to today's last episode of Language and You. Today we'll be talking about intersectionality in regards to um, sexuality, gender, language, um, and disability. And so to start off, um, I just wanted to ask, like, what was one thing that stuck out to you the most from this week? Um, one thing that stood out to me the most was probably the overall topic in uh, trying to incorporate all of these topics into the classroom at a young age. Since honestly, in my life, in my education, K through 12, we never ever um, mentioned any topic of of these so it's really interesting that other schools across the country are talking about these situations um yeah the same thing like for me this was never included in any of my schooling experience up until now um and i feel like it should be included from a younger age and also um something that surprised me from the video for this week was how one of the students mentioned that the most traumatizing experience for them in their like whole educational experience was elementary school because that's the time when you conform the most to gender norms and I just like never thought about that before and like when I thought about people in like the LGBTQ plus community having traumatic school experiences I always thought it happened more in middle and high school I didn't realize that it could also happen and be the worst when they're in elementary school? Uh, the thing that I was most interested in this week was actually from the interview uh, that Dr. Monica had and the way they talked about uh, the fact that bilingual students are overrepresented in uh, special education classrooms, meaning of course that they're misplaced into these classrooms. Yeah, I think similarly to you, Teddy, um, I think that is also a point that stuck out to me. Um, and it's just like interesting to see how like, you know, obviously with like these like English dominant narratives within schools and like how that is so tight, like how that is tightly correlated to why um, emerging bilinguals are seen as like as seen as having a, a disability because like they're learning the language and often it can be like misinterpreted that they're not even understanding or like you know and it's just I don't know it's just like kind of sad to see how like the school system enforces this right but I really liked that um Dr. Santiago Shores, um, she really talked about how like, what is the role of like the institution and like the structural and like what are ways that we are able to make education a lot more equitable for these students because of like these structures um, established, right? Um, so I think that's something that stuck out to me, especially, and then also like in regards to like the film that we watched, um, like one of the stats was like 55.5% of LGBT students felt unsafe at school because of their sexual orientation and 37.8% because of their gender expression. And like 
for me like those 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 stats stuck out because like those are high numbers and it's like if like these many students don't feel safe in schools like what are we like there's obviously have to be change there has to be change within the, the school environment right because like students should be going into classrooms that are school settings that are welcoming and they feel supported right um because that's what's going to facilitate their learning even more and so i feel like those are like some of the points that like really stuck out to me um throughout the throughout the film and like well this week in general but i was also curious to know if like the definitions you know how we had to like start off by writing our definitions if like um these were terms that you all were able to kind of i like define um or like how did it compare to like the definitions that we're seeing in like the clip um for me my definitions were very similar um mostly just like a little tiny differences since i'm really aware of the definitions but compared to like the official official definition it is like different because a lot of people have their own different definitions on the on the words we had yeah most of mine were similar to uh, what we had provided but then um for disability there wasn't one in the video because that that one was about um lgbtq terminology so when i was looking for a more concise definition of disability than what i could come up with uh, a lot of it implied inferiority in the disabled person that it was trying to describe which really disturbed me yeah, I think for me, um, the definitions that I had with like what was provided um, were pretty similar. Um, I think that, yeah, they were pretty similar. I, I feel like these are terms that are have been often covered within like most of my education classes. And so I was kind of able to like remember them, <laughs> um, really, you know, use my own words to define them. And which were pretty similar to like those within the video clip themselves. Yeah, I think that mine were also pretty similar because we talked about a lot of these terms in other education classes and like we've been talking about intersectionality specifically in my education 202 class that I'm taking right now. So I kind of already knew what that is like going into this week's content for this class yeah and so transitioning into the content like specific content for this week um let's talk about first the the film that we watched breaking the silence honoring the voices of lgbtq youth and allies in preparing our teachers and um yeah and i know madison i believe you talked about like how like the students were traumatized like mostly in like elementary school um, but I wanted to open it up to see if there was anything else that um, that you all appreciated about the video in general. Um, something that I appreciated about the film 
was how it was the students were asking the teachers questions and it kind of became a conversation. It was like a conversation between the teachers and students with the students like voicing their concerns and the teachers responding to it instead of the other way around. Um, and I also just, there were like a few things that stood out to me, the thing I mentioned earlier about how they're mostly traumatized in elementary school, which surprised me and also made me think more about how um, elementary school teachers really need to be including um, materials that represent this group of students, um, such as the book that we read today in class, They Call Me Mix. I think that's a really good book to include at like kindergarten, first grade, second grade level. Um, but then another thing about the video that was interesting to me is how um, teachers actually don't feel comfortable sharing their orientation like one of the teachers who's retired mentioned that he only shared that he was gay during his final year of teaching to like his last group of students and like that kind of surprised me because I feel like um how can students be comfortable sharing their orientation um in the setting when the teachers aren't even comfortable yeah I think that's a good point like really um creating those spaces and like you know, creating those spaces for both students and teachers is essential to be able to foster like this type of community. Um, and like, I think something that really got to me was like when one of the students was like, what does a safe space really mean? Like it's like oftentimes when people refer to a safe space, it's just like a poster on the wall, right? And so we, we know that creating a safe space is much more than just the poster on a wall like there has to be different actions put in by both by like the teachers and like admin etc to be able to create actually facilitate or foster a safe space and so I think that's something that stuck out to me from the film um but I'm not sure if well um Teddy if you want to um talk about some of your own experiences yeah, so uh, I had a lot to say about this video because, well, my, my three main points are, uh, number one, I've had to deal with a lot of the harmful experiences that the students mentioned. Either I dealt with them or I'm friends with people who've dealt with those situations. Um, so I wasn't expecting expecting them to talk about it as directly as they were. So that kind of uh, took me off guard, threw me off. Um, second thing is I have some examples of bad experiences I've had. I mean, I had high school teachers that uh, were directly transphobic in the classroom. We we're talking about current events back when um, North Carolina put in their bathroom law that was transphobic. So that was a fun experience. <laughs> um, and I haven't had, we had a GSA at my high school, but uh, I didn't join it. And one of my friends that was in it said they didn't really do anything other than just kind of hang out and be friends anyway. Um, but we didn't really have any direct action or direct involvement of specifically trying to include queer people, which I'm definitely going to try when I'm a teacher to 
emphasize, like obviously I use they, them pronouns. So I'm going to have an immediate, uh, probably have to explain myself to some of the kids and give them an immediate introduction in that way to queer ideas. But um, I'm definitely going to try and do that for people because of my third point that kind of relates to what Madison was talking about of how can you have teachers that aren't comfortable being themselves with the students and then expect the students to figure out how to be themselves. Um, and I think we talked about this a little bit in class, but the main thing to me with this and with like, uh, I think it was last week, maybe the week before we talked about um, what you would do if I showed up at your classroom and tried to take a student away. Um, all of these kinds of situations where you as a teacher have to protect the student. I think as long as you are doing what's right, then you should continue doing what's right and be brave and be that person for that student who can advocate for them and protect them and show them that the way that they are is good, not just okay, but good and great. Um, and that's a lot of what I took out of, out of this video. Thank you for sharing, Teddy. Um, going off of that, I was just kind of thinking about how um, you like kind of talked about this, but have we also talked about this in class, how like te teachers need to advocate for their students, which means that if there's something harmful going on, teachers need to intervene and not be afraid of the possibility of getting fired because you should fight for your student and do the right thing. I do agree that you should be fighting for your students, just like Madison said, but I just believe that not many teachers have been properly trained to deal with these type of situations. So like you said, like they should be properly trained in order to like not be scared of being fired or violating any type of rules that schools have. And I just feel like during the college prep programs, um, we should like have examples on how to deal with these type of situations or have like mandated state training within these type of situations as well. Just like we have to be mandated reporters. Um, I feel like this should be a section in that with, you know, how to deal with these situations. I think that's a really good idea, Manny. Yeah, I also think that's a really good idea. I just wonder how that would work because I feel like that's just adding another like political thing into the education system. Like some states will adopt it, some states won't. And I feel like that's something that'll have like a lot of pushback, even though it shouldn't have pushback. Yeah, agreed. I agree with you. Um, just like a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at the state maps, the country map, and like how each state was implementing different things and how some states were taking away things. I totally agree. It will be up to the state, you know, to uphold those standards. And every state does like, I guess, have the right to decide what they want to do, what they don't want to do. 
but it also, I mean, it should also be like optional in a way, just like add it just in case some teachers do want to use this, some teachers don't. So it'll be like, if you want to be that one teacher to help your students out, you should be able to. I think this uh, level of like teacher training involvement is um, only state-based anyway. So it would definitely vary by state. You're right, Madison, like just because Illinois puts this in doesn't mean everybody else is going to. So it, it might be easier to get something like this through here, but uh, you're right that a lot of other states wouldn't, wouldn't attempt this. Yeah, definitely. I think trying to pause something or like bring something up into into conversation with politicians is very difficult. And like we all, but we know that like power is the numbers. And like if there's backing behind by like heaps of people, like and people are willing to organize and put in that work, you know, like I feel like it's something that is possible. Um, but definitely there will be pushback and like obviously all of this work labor that people do or have been doing already um it's a lot and it could also be draining so like that's you know i don't know. um but it's definitely like I, I i look a lot towards like organizing in this aspect um but i just wanted to kind of transition into um, the other content from this week and we talked about like the intersectionality of like disability and language. Um, and so something that I really, um, that really stuck out to me about this um, interview and conversation that Dr. Monica had with Dr. Vanessa Santiago Shorts is like, um, just like, uh the the whole aspect of like emergent bilingual being over overrepresented in um in like are, are diagnosed with a disability right um and so it's like we often see also how like this could also intersect with like like students of color or like uh students of color and the intersection of language also could be like intersection of status and like generalizations right um, so I think that's also something that stuck out to me, um, but yeah. Yeah, and when we already have, like, I remember either in Education 201 or 202, they talked about the overrepresentation of Latinx and Black students in special education. Um, so we already have overrepresentation of Black students because of racism, and then when you add on to it the additional if a student is bilingual or multilingual, the uh, additional clear language issues when testing the student to see if they need special education. Um, like, obviously, it's difficult if you're looking at it as only an English speaker and how to test someone in their English skills, but that's not an indicator these people should know already that that's not an indicator of if a student needs special ed, that's just an indicator of how good they are at English. And you have to give them testing in their 
primary language in order to actually figure out where they're at academically. And going off of that, it was mentioned how um, oftentimes students are referred to this testing because of errors or approximations they've made in like their writing specifically, I think, and how sometimes those approximations that they're making are because they're following the structure of their home language. So if teachers act more as investigators to see like why the student might be making a certain mistake repeatedly, then that would be more beneficial to the student instead of just referring them to get tested for special ed when they don't need it. I kind of think, I remember there was a video in this class that um, one of the like non-Spanish speaking teachers who had like translanguaging in her classroom um, was doing a workshop with a few of the students because I can't remember what words they were using, but there was a certain way that they were writing things in English that mirrored how you would phrase that in Spanish, but you phrase it differently in English. And she was like an investigator and figured that out and then worked with them on it which is what teachers should be doing instead of just referring them to get tested and like go into special ed. Yeah, honestly, the way that bilingual students are herded into special education is, it's the way that people have been racist for hundreds of years it's just disguised a little bit better. The, the idea with English superiority in, in America here of like this, oh, what you can't say a word because they don't have that sound in your language. You must be stupid. You must be missing something instead of actually paying attention to what this student is bringing to the table and where they might actually have uh, a need for special education intervention, you're taking it at this medieval face value. It's ridiculous the way we've found ways to pretend we're actually helping people when really we're just being racist in different ways. Yeah, and I think another aspect of like the, the conversation that Dr. Monica and Dr. Santiago Schwartz was having was really like, um, like we need to humanize students or like, you know, like everyone in general should be humanized, right? And like really approaching teaching in like a humanizing way um, because like this really lets educators assess the needs of students. Um, like really focus on like what's important for the students and like what will really benefit there's like the students learning um and so I think like it like I really like the way that she provided like what to do for teachers who are like monolingual really like really doing like that like taking the time out of their time taking time out of their their day their work period to really um foster like to do that background research on the home language of the student and like really allow themselves um, to help the student or understand and meet the student or where they're at. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think another thing from like that conversation that stood out to me is how 
even though teachers like are technically or like you're positioned as the expert, um, the parents also are experts. They know their children really well. So if there's something that you notice, it's important to like reach out to the parent and ask the parent like questions about it, like questions about maybe if a student um, does have a learning disability, questions about how to help them best, or just like in general questions about how to handle a certain situation that has like arised with a student. Cause like, and I never thought that like teachers really reached out to parents with like questions. I thought most of the time teachers just reach out with like information about the student. So I, I liked that point about how like, even though you're like technically positioned as the expert, you can ask questions because you're not an expert on everything. And like parents are also experts on their children. Yeah, when she said, you can just Google it. If you have more questions and you feel weird about asking them, you can Google the condition or the whatever the student has going on. You don't have to like, oh, I don't know, would it be weird if I asked the family about this? Google is always available. I thought that was funny when she threw that out there. Yeah, and I think, um, I think we can transition to, in the essence of time, we could transition to um, the other, as the other um, aspects of, of the content. Um, so we could talk about, I guess we could talk about both the, the kindergarten teacher's book, um, They Call Me Mix, and then we could also talk about the four educa educators page and like what stuck out to y'all if you could choose which one to focus on. For me personally, one of the favorite articles uh, out of this whole class has probably been the kindergarten teacher's article about the book, The Call Me Mix. And I'm just like really surprised on how the teacher um, started implementing um, their, um, what's it called? Just like their curriculum into, you know, this, this topic into just students in young age. So I really like how they implemented it into the book and how they implemented it into the other art, I'm sorry, the other activities and everything like that. And yeah, um, what's it called? Just like their whole maestre, um, how they want to call themselves maestre. That was really, really, really interesting to me because I was thinking about it and I'm like, oh, if they don't feel like maestra or maestro is appropriate for them, like how would they want, how would they want to be called? And I was like, hmm, maestra, like with an X, but that wouldn't really work. So like after reading and when they said maestre, I was like, oh, that's really creative. Like I've never really heard of that being used before. And honestly, like, I wonder how other teachers refer to them, refer to themselves as if they don't, you know, want to use maestro or maestra. So yeah, that's one of like, yeah, my favorite topics.
I agree. I think that article was really interesting because like when I was reading it, I was like, well, we never learned in all of my Spanish classes I took that there could be a like non-gendered version of Spanish words um, such as maestre. And then I also really liked like when Dr. Monica um, read the book out loud in class, like it was really powerful to like listen to it and look at the illustrations of the book. Like it's definitely one I'm buying for my mom's first grade classroom because it's really powerful and really good way of um, introducing this content to younger children. And then something else that stuck out to me is from the four educators page. I found like a list of tips on there. Um, and some specific ones that stood out to me were having students name themselves on the first day, which is something we've talked about in previous, previous podcasts, but also incorporating that with having them write their names and pronouns on an index card because then they'll have a way to like let you know their pronouns and maybe they're not comfortable telling the entire class. They just want you to know. So that's a way for them to like comfortably tell you. And um, another one was just, I was kind of like, how do you even approach this conversation? Like specifically thinking about elementary school, how do I approach the conversation about pronouns? So I really liked how there was the tip about um, basically what you just have to say is how, what you identify as and explain that you don't know someone's pronouns until they tell you. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because like if, you can never assume someone's pronouns and I think it's always important to like introduce yourself with like pronouns and like really normalize that because that's something that you know is should be normalized within society and it's I feel like it's only respectful to do um so I think that's a really good point and um and the book itself in like kindergarten or the with the kindergarten teacher um and talking about like gender neutral terms and like resisting like Spanish gendered uh terms with the use of maestre um it kind of reminded me for also like for education 202 um I had to my group and I decided to write a book about intersectionality um, and so we wrote a children's book um, and I was just like we, we, we try to like really um, make different identities apparent um, in terms of like or like the, the characters would like um, either be like students of color or will have a physical disability but we also had someone who had like more of a <clears throat> who had like a mental disability um, or who had like um, um, who had like two uh, two moms instead of like a with an instead of like a straight relationship or a straight uh, parents, um, and so like I feel like that was something that I was able to connect with like the teacher's book, um, but yeah, <laughs> but. Um, I think that is time, if I am not mistaken. Um, so is there anything else that you all would want to say before we end? Alrighty then. Um, well, thank you everyone for joining us over the course of this semester um, within our podcast, Language and You. 
um, one final time. My name is Emily. I'm Annie. I'm Madison. And I'm Teddy. And thank you all for joining us. I hope um, wherever life takes you, it's will be that it will be good.